0: Imagine if someone were running for Congress with a platform for, quote, ending legalized bribery in Congress. Well, you don't have to imagine him because he's right here, Stephen Olucaro, running for U.S. Senator in Wisconsin. On the Democratic side, Stephen, welcome.
1: Great to see you, Chang. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, no problem. So, the, that Democratic primary race in Wisconsin is fascinating. That's a positive way of putting it, a mess is the other way of putting it. Okay, so I wanna come back to that in a second in terms of the political dynamics. But I'm, I'm curious how your campaign has gone. That has been the central focus ending legalized bribery, ending money in politics, etc. But there's a lot of big, big names, big money involved in the race. So what's been your experience running for Congress?
1: Well, as we've talked about in in prior forums, the press, the corporate media and the corporate Democrats are all colluding together uh, to make this not a real race. And they see that our message of ending legalized bribery and getting big money out of politics as my first piece of legislation is resonating. It's connecting uh, and they're doing everything they can to silence our voices. And to me, this wouldn't pass the snuff test even of an Onion article headline. I mean, basically, we had a debate scheduled recently and the three corporate establishment candidates all declined their invitations even to debate. And you know as well as I do, Jenk, that the corporate press looks at money as their number one determinant in reporting on races. And so if the race is all about big money and ads. Uh, There's no visibility into who's actually getting people fired up at the grassroots level. And you wonder why so many corporate democrats uh, lose uh, big elections. This is the election against Ron Johnson. It's extremely important uh, that we win. And I think we need a true progressive who has a real populist agenda to clean up our government in order to win this race.
0: So I remember we had a debate uh, when I ran for Congress and the. Democratic favored candidate the establishment candidate didn't show up and the crowd was like booing her it was amazing all the other candidates spoke out against her and the headline in the corporate media was uh, smaller candidates criticize uh, Christy Smith who's outdoing the, uh, the the people's business. Okay, I mean, the fact that she claimed that she was in the you know, state legislature at the time. And that's why she couldn't be there's a total lie fabrication, easily disproved, right, if they just, but no, they're just gonna frame everything in favor of the established candidate. So now Stephen, it's one thing when you hear it from the outside, it's another thing when you live it. So yes. even having talked about it, were you still surprised at how significant the bias in the press was?
1: It's a good question. I I was well aware of these forces before I jumped into the race. But stepping into the process myself, you just see how hilariously unequal this electoral system is. And you start to see things behind the scenes that if it just got out into public, people would be outraged. I mean, just the candidates themselves don't talk about experience, don't even talk about what they want to achieve. They're just trying to put up some generic ads on TV and it's just a race to to obtain a name ID essentially. And seeing more behind the scenes also how the corporate media is involved in all of this was, was shocking. For example, this is one of the most important Senate races in the country. In fact, the balance of the US Senate could hinge on this race. So I assumed that there would be many candidate forums, multi candidate events, debates. That the media would be covering that, and frankly, they haven't to date. This campaign's been going on uh, for over a year now, and how many multi-candidate events, which happen almost uh, every week now, how many candidate forums have the corporate media showed up to to report on? Zero, and they admit that uh, themselves. And then, we, as we already talked about, there have been not only in the first debate did they cancel it because not enough people showed up. Of course, we still showed up there. Uh, But still to date, there have been zero debates as well. So just seeing that was surprising to me because I think that the public deserves to know what their options are. And as a result of this negligence from from all of these forces, the top front runner in this race right now by over a mile is, I don't know, it's undecided. And so there's a huge problem uh, in terms of just awareness in this race and we gotta close that gap. Uh, in terms of our digital media and unconventional campaigning. Uh, as an example, we launched a bar band tour across the state where I'm playing with the local bands. Uh, everything from Nirvana covers to Black Sabbath and it's been a lot of fun and a great way to reach people.
0: The website by the way, is stephenolokara.com uh, and we'll put the link down below too. So Stephen, uh, one last thing about the media and, and there it is, we're showing it to you so you know how to spell it too. Um, so um, there's a the mythology in the media that. Uh, elections are about a battle of ideas and that uh, you know you run and a, and a corporate democrat runs and another progressive runs and then you guys all had a, a debate and then the, the people of Wisconsin decided that they like the other person's ideas rather than they like your ideas. Um, now, how ridiculous is that now that you've lived it?
1: You would hope that it's a battle of ideas, you'd hope that we have a real democracy. Uh, but we don't. We have a race to be a corporate telemarketer in Congress, and I'm serious about that. And you know, to me, when I, if I'm a voter, I'm thinking to myself: we go through this process every two years, and we get all riled up about around different issues. There's a huge race to fundraise, and then nothing gets done on the other side of that. And at a certain point, you have to call on this process. And that's what we're doing in this campaign. And although the corporate media doesn't want to have a real debate of ideas, we are able to mobilize a lot of people at the grassroots level. And here's one thing they don't want to tell you, but we've found abundantly on the campaign trail. Getting big money out of politics is probably the most unifying issue on in Wisconsin and probably in the country. You know, the only people who are against this agenda are really the corporate elites in both parties. But I can tell you, whether I'm talking with progressives in Madison, Wisconsin, or you know, one of my favorite events was up in Nielsville at a veterans' memorial, where no one there was a Democrat, but a lot of people were disaffected Republicans. They were just as fired up about this agenda as Madison progressives were. So this is a movement whose time has come, and they just got to give us the mic. And I appreciate platforms like this. To be able to get the message out there,
0: yeah. There is this great dichotomy that it is the one issue that unites the whole country uh, and the one they are most animated by, and the one covered the least by the press. That's yeah. just amazing. So that's when you know the, the game is actually rigged, right? Yeah. And and so we can get into why and how uh, on another day, but. But speaking of uh, bringing people together, uh, you tried uh, something called the Reunited States, where you were trying to uh, bridge political and racial divides before you ran uh, for Senate. I'm curious, I mean, in this incredibly divided US, how did it go?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, this is a documentary film that's out there, which highlighted my work with The millennial action project working with millennial and some gen z elected officials across the country and and having community level conversations about the real issues and the main takeaway from that is people are so hungry for a new politics and yet the political elites don't represent the real agreement that there is at the grassroots level that this corruption is rampant and it has to stop And I think the real connection that was made at the grassroots level through a lot of the events covered in the United States was the fact that money is at the root of why our politics is so polarized today. Because the number one way that you can raise a lot of money for your campaign and for a political party is just by dehumanizing a bunch of people and not really saying what you're for. And even people who are reasonable in person, I'm sure you've met elected leaders like this, Cenk, in private, they're so reasonable. And then in public, they go absolutely wild. And, and the reason why they do that is because of the money and the endless desire uh, to fundraise. And so to your point is extremely challenging because of the systemic forces in our politics. But at the same time, I saw a very promising consensus at the grassroots level uh, to create a more dignified and honest kind of politics.
0: Yeah, well, look, if the press would ever give the mic to anyone running on corruption as their top issue, they'd win in a landslide. But the press will not do it under penalty of law. The only time that anybody broke through a little bit was Elizabeth Warren when she was running on corruption and legalized bribery. She even used those words at the presidential level. And you know what happened? She instantly became number one in the field. And then the Democrats yelled at her and she stopped talking about it and she slid into oblivion. Okay, so it's amazing, it's an amazing phenomenon. All right, one more thing, this is really important in Wisconsin, because normally, Stephen, there's one progressive in the race and then a total corporate Democrat bad guy in the race, etc. But not so in Wisconsin. There's a couple of you know very corporate candidates running for the same seat, they've got a ton of money, they have the most money. But there's a couple of good progressives as well in this race. So between basically the three of you, why should people vote for you instead of the other two progressives?
1: Well, the, the most important thing with our campaign is that we, this is not a message that I invented yesterday. You know how Bernie Sanders would say, I've been saying the same thing for 30 years. Well, I've been saying the same thing for the last 15 years, the entire time that I've been uh, in politics. So I've been extremely consistent on this vision for a new politics. I have the actual experience to get it done uh, through my organization, Millennial Action Project we were directly involved in passing legislation on nearly every topic that we've talked about, whether it's campaign finance reform, ending partisan gerrymandering at the state level, uh, as well as passing gun violence prevention bills as well. And so even we passed 35 bills through Congress and had a direct role on those. Even if I passed one bill uh, through Congress, that would give me more federal legislative experience uh, than anyone else uh, in this race. Uh, and then the final thing is the ability to expand the electorate, um, and you don't expand the electorate by being a political hack. Uh, and we've got plenty of those uh, in this campaign. The way that you expand the electorate and give people real hope is be being honest and being authentic and showing people that you have a real track record around your message. And so that I think is the biggest differentiators in this race.
0: All right, Stephen Olacara, and of course the website stephenolakara.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and for having the courage to put yourself out there and run, we appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you. Thanks for giving us a platform because we know the corporate media is not gonna do that.
0: Uh, we've been giving people a platform fighting against corporate media for a long time now and uh, happy to do it. Thank you, Steven. Thank you. Have smartphones been our best tool for justice in America? Interesting, let's talk about it. Uh, We're gonna bring on Mark Lamont Hill. You might recognize him from a 1000 different things he's hosted. He's hosted on CNN, Al Jazeera, HuffPost, BET News, Black News tonight. I can go on and on. He's a professor at Temple University and now the author of Seen and Unseen. Mark, uh, welcome to TYT.
2: Oh Man, it's a pleasure to be here, my friend.
0: All right, great to have you. So Mark, uh, before we get into all the controversies which happen nonstop, let's talk about the book. Um, So, you have an interesting theory. Tell us about uh, what you wrote about.
2: You know, the, The idea here is that when George Floyd, which is where we start this book. When George Floyd gets killed in 2020, there's a national reckoning on race. There's a national conversation people are taking to the streets. People are trying to change laws. Lots of stuff happened and the question in my mind is why? Why after all the people who've been killed by law enforcement, all the people who've been killed by self deputized vigilantes, why is this the moment where things change? We thought it could have been with Mike Brown. We thought it could have been with Trayvon Martin. But there seems to be a bigger change here. And I believe that the biggest reason was the video. We had the opportunity, unlike with Trayvon and with George Floyd, to actually see the execution. Watching the knee of Derek Chauvin on the neck of George Floyd, for 9 minutes was an incredibly disturbing disgusting unsettling you know experience that many Americans had to confront most Americans had to confront they could no longer pretend that they didn't know they could no longer pretend that you know the officer deserves the benefit of the doubt they could no longer pretend that there's not a ritual kind of harassment and violence that takes place in our streets all the time and so this forced people for over 9 minutes to witness something that they didn't want to be mature enough as a nation to, to take to take account of. So we break that down, but this book isn't just about George Floyd, it's about the way that technology and media has been used across a range of settings. Whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, Ahmaud Arbery's murder, whether it's what we see uh, with uh, in Kenosha, right, where you off, you ultimately end up with Kyle Rittenhouse of a not guilty verdict. It's about finding, it's about the campaigns that, that are used to get law enforcement to actually pay attention like with Breonna Taylor. It's about all that stuff. But lastly, and I think this is maybe the most important contribution of the book, is that we show that this has always been the case. Vulnerable people have always used the technologies of their day. The media of their day to tell their story and to fight for justice. Whether it's Dr. King on the Pettus Bridge making sure that he wouldn't get beaten in Birmingham and in the bushes, but instead on the bridge in front of the news cameras. Whether it's Emmett Till's mom showing the open casting on a cover of Jet magazine. Or whether it's Frederick Douglass showing what a Negro looks like with being the most photographed man of the of the 19th century. It's all about using the tools to get where we need to be.
0: Yeah, so I can attest to that in a thousand different ways. When I worked in cable news, first question, that, and often the last question the executive producer would ask is, do we have video? And if you have video, you're at least 10 times more likely to cover it. If you don't have video, they don't care how compelling the story is, they don't want to cover it. So so that is enormously true, inarguably true. So I am I want to get back to that in a second. But, But Mark, doesn't it? are us recognizing that it actually happened as a country to George Floyd. reveal the assumption that as a country, we didn't really believe black people until we saw it with our own eyes.
2: That's exactly true. And here's the other part. Not only did we not believe as a country black people until we saw it with our own eyes, we still often don't believe it even after we see it with our own eyes. We're 31 years after the beating of Rodney King. Uh, Thirty years after the uprisings in Los Angeles, where after an entire nation saw a video, a videotaped beating of a man, a jury decided that their lying eyes weren't persuasive enough. That Rodney King's own testimony wasn't persuasive enough. Lynchings didn't happen because people didn't know about it, right? I mean, they they were one. Of, they were the first national pastime. People made postcards from it they took people's body parts as souvenirs from it um we we see walter scott get shot running away we see eric garner get executed in staten island standing there we don't have any shortage of witnesses the problem is to your point black witness black testimony is insufficient in this country because white supremacy teaches that black lives black bodies black stories black truths black testimony is simply irrelevant because we're not human. So that so that that's a big problem. So in some ways the idea of aha we got the smoking gun video is almost letting America off the hook, right? Because it, it allows them to it allows them to convince themselves that all they needed was the evidence. But the truth is America doesn't want to know. When it comes to matters of race, racism, white supremacy, capitalism, we can go on. America grows old, but it doesn't really grow up.
0: So I often come back to this because we had a former Baltimore cop on the show and and he said something that stuck with me for a long time. Uh, he was a white guy too, and he said, "Look, you know, black people have been saying in this country for my whole lifetime, let alone for centuries, uh, that the police were abusing them, um, and nobody ever believes them." And he's like, "Did we all think that they were all lying?" <laughs> and, and 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 he so and he explained, "Yeah, of course, cops in Baltimore, of course, abused African Americans, and they did it on purpose." And so, but the answer to that haunting question is yes. We collectively, America thought all black people complaining about police abuse were lying, all of them. And Mark, that gets to the question, why did we think that? And I realized, having done so many of these interviews, why that was in all of our collective heads, because of the media. Didn't get out there for no reason, from nowhere, right? It was the media that put the thought in our heads, cops are always telling the truth, black victims are always lying. So, talk to us a little bit about that. what What is your sense of what the media did to get almost all Americans to believe that?
2: I'm glad you said media. Um one, I think you're right. we We have a we're fed a steady diet of propaganda every single day. And it's not just cable news, although cable news and broadcast news for decades only told the story of the hero cop, only told the story of the cop who was right. and and when Rodney King happens, it's seen as, uh, in aberration, it's seen as an outlier, but the general narrative is still the same. Um, but it wasn't just the cable news stories, it wasn't just the stories we chose to tell, but more importantly the stories we chose not to tell. LA, the LAPD had hundreds of cases of, or allegations of police brutality every year, sometimes thousands. Chicago, Philadelphia, we've gone down the list. The news media chose not to cover it, even local news often doesn't cover investigations of police misconduct. But again, it's not just the news. You can also look to TV shows. I mean, think about America's Most Wanted. Think about America's Most Wanted. I mean, you're it's a show. And again, there are lots of awful people in the world who do awful things to people. So I'm I'm not I'm not understating that. And many of the people on the wanted list did the crime. I'm not pretending that they didn't. But the point here is that we were we created a kind of infrastructure through media where people who hadn't been to trial yet. People who hadn't even been, or oftentimes not even charged yet, were already effectively determined guilty in the process of this manhunt. We had shows like Cops where we romanticized police chasing people down, tackling them, uh, arresting them. Again, oftentimes people who weren't, who hadn't even been through due process yet. The cops were always right on an episode of Cops, right? Uh, TV shows, whether it's Law and Order or whether, whatever it is. Right, these shows are also feature a steady diet of propaganda, where the the cops are the good guys and they're trying to pursue these evil criminals. And every once in a while, the thing that stops the cop from Doing the right thing are these pesky technicalities, these 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 tricky public defense attorneys or these slickster paid defense attorneys who who get in the way of cops doing their 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 true calling. And so when a cop cuts a corner or moves a piece of evidence or plays the game a little bit differently, you know you watch a show like Bad Boy, a movie like Bad Boys, right? I mean Will Smith has takes new meaning now, but Will Smith and Martin Lawrence were beating up. The the suspects, right? Before they ever got him there. And, and we romanticize this stuff. Since the ninth the, the, the early or mid part of the twentieth century, when the we had the Keystone cops were like the bungling cops, we have pretty much done a 180, and all cops are heroes, all cops are blameless, all criminals are bad, and 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 and, and, and guilty before getting given due process. And so because of that. It becomes very easy to believe that the cops are always 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 on the right side of the issue, and the fact of the matter is they are not
0: yeah, and uh, I think local news, in my opinion, did the most damage because they would selectively show black defendants, especially if they were white victims and Absolutely. and and they and they would not show it as much if it was a white defendant um and and part of that was because of the ratings. And it's and it scared the bejesus out of people to show black faces against white victims, and so they chose to show uh, black defendants, etc. And that made a giant difference. But uh, did you just use the word propaganda? Yes. Oh, that's an awesome word. Okay, I'm going to use that from now on. Okay. Did you invent you that? I
2: think so. I think so. I'm not sure. I used it in a, in a, a book of mine called "We Still Here," and it came out a few years ago. I'm not sure. I, I don't think I've heard anybody else use it, but I don't want to claim it too tough. In just case, no, I'm no.
0: I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you the credit. As long as I heard it first from you, that counts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now, unfortunately, back to serious stuff. So we, you know, Martin Luther King has a great quote about how the arc of history bends towards justice, the moral arc of history, but. It might bend back to injustice. That's the part he left out. So, and and the reason I say that is, so we started seeing these videos, Ahmaud Arbery, etc. George Floyd. People got upset, but now I feel like it's gotten to a point where people are like, Yeah, no, I'm good with it. Um, You know, the right wing has gone back to no, uh, it's all black people's faults, and 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 the politicians have dropped it, right? Well, the Democrats have did their usual democrating, uh, which they were like, "Oh my God, we're going to fight for criminal justice reform," and then they get in, they're like, "Oh, the Republicans didn't agree. We instantly surrender, right?" So, yeah. um, has that the video working started to grind down to a, a slower pace here, less justice because turns out a lot of right wingers saw the videos and thought, "I'm okay with it."
2: I think we would be naive. Um, to believe that the video itself will ever do the job, right? As activists and as organizers, one of the things that we have always made use of is the spectacle. Again, Dr. King on the Pettus Bridge, the beating that takes place when John Lewis is getting his head bashed in um by the state, that doesn't create voting rights, but it creates a spectacle that when Sort of connected to grassroots action and organizing and public pressure and behind the scenes pressure can lead to a a not a shift but an interest convergence where the interest of the people demanding converges with the state's interest at some point. But it's not isolated. The spectacle is just a small slice of it. The sit-ins, the boycotts—they're just small slices of it. And so, yeah, a video, a video beating and the, and and the um, the protests that come with the video beating—that's never going to be enough to persuade a politician because politicians don't have feelings, they have interests. And it's only when their interests converge with the people doing the advocacy work that we see any kind of change. And so when I think about what's happened over the last say, decade, for me, it's not just our protests, and it's not just these video cameras and in, in, in this footage. It's about the on the ground work that happens, even when cable news says, you know what, we're tired of talking about dead black people. Let's talk about missing airplanes. Oh, we're back to dead black people. Oh, wait, no, we're back to Trump. Oh, wait, a few dead black people. Okay, now Ukraine, right? We're only going to focus in those small moments, those small blips, but the work continues. And I think you might even be giving the Democrats a little too much credit. I mean, somebody like Joe Biden, even in the height of this mess, said he supports cops. He was anti, not just abolition, he was anti-defunding, he wanted more cops on the street, right? And so Democrats have been feckless and spineless from the beginning on on this issue in many ways. But even at their best when they said fine, some cops are doing something bad, we need some justice in policing, we need a justice in policing act. And, and Republicans said fine, I guess you shouldn't go around killing every black person, right? That was like the that a moral achievement for this country and even even in that moment, you're right, the attention span was so short. So what's the answer? The answer is to not fetishize a video, to not assign magical power to it, to not assume that it's going to be the transformative practice. But instead to say these moments of national attention have to be linked to consistent on the groundwork. That's why abolitionists, I've been an abolitionist for decades. We've been fighting to close prisons and stop policing for decades. And we, these moments are helpful And long term, I do think they matter, but it is, as Dr. King said, and as you alluded to, a long, long, long arc. And so when we get bail reform, when we get an end to privatized prisons, when we can get a civilian review board here or a defunding there, that's all work that is in the interest of the long-term vision. But it's going to take a whole lot more than some videotapes to stop this thing.
0: All right, the book is called Seen and Unseen. Mark Lamont Hill, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it.
2: Good to see you, my brother.
1: You too.